Pastor Xavier Reese with this simple truth today. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. God can deal very stern with people. He'd rather not. Hebrews 4, 7 says again, he designates a certain day saying in David today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This phrase is stated over and over again in the book of Hebrews as it gives warning after warning. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Though the God of the Bible is righteous and unquestionably holy, He is also known for His loving willingness to give second chances. And in the case of Pharaoh refusing to heed the commands of God through Moses, we see God offering quite a few chances to avoid judgment. But here in Exodus chapter 7 and 8, we see Pharaoh's hard heart just getting harder as God had no choice but to administer His judgment in the form of a series of plagues for failing to release the captive Israelites. Let's join Pastor Xavier continuing our Simple Truth series in Exodus. Pharaoh's heart grew hard and obstinate after Aaron had uh, cast his rod to the ground and it turned into a serpent and his serpent devoured the two magicians' serpents in chapter 7, verse 13. These three next plagues are poured out by God again, Judge the gods of the Egyptians, revealing that they are powerless. The first is the plague of frogs, the second the plague of lice, and the third is the plague of flies. Notice in verse 25 of the end of chapter 7, the Lord commissioned Moses to present himself before Pharaoh here. The command came to Moses seven days, it says there, after God had struck the Nile to turn into blood. Notice in verse 2 and 3, the Pharaoh is warned for the first time about not obeying Yahweh. This is the first warning. The consequence would be a second judgment on Egypt. Listen to verse 2. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territories with frogs. The frogs will come in abundance, meaning teeming, swarming, the same thing that is in Genesis, teeming, swarming in the waters. I mean, these are not normal things. When you read commentaries that tell you, well, this was the, there always were times when, no, they're not natural. These are supernatural, miraculous plagues. These are judgments. The severity and intensity of the plague would mark the divine judgment, quite different from the normal frog population. And as these plagues come, they become more severe, more intense, as in the book of Revelation, during the Great Tribulation. There's a great parallel. That'd be a good study to do one of these times. The second plague of frogs did not cause Pharaoh to repent. The next plague is the plague of lice, 16 through 19. In 16 and 17, the Lord commanded Moses to bring forth the third plague, and the Lord here again told Moses to tell her and stretch out his rod. As you know, this is the chain of command. And there was no warning notice this time. Mark it well. No warning to Pharaoh this time due to what? His false deceptive words. He lied to God, thinking Yahweh was like any other man. The orders, notice, were for Aaron to stretch out with his rod and strike the dust of the land, bringing forth lice throughout the land of Egypt. Lice are pretty, pretty destructive. They're, the Latin and Greek, they have translated the phrase lice to gnats, some even mosquitoes. The Nile at inundation 
would bring forth mosquitoes. But again, this is divine judgment on the gods of the Egyptians. So make sure you, you don't try to explain these things naturally, normally, okay? These are divine judgments. As much as the ones in the great tribulation. The play of lies would bring about so much desperation and helplessness as these little tiny pests would go into their ears, into their nostrils, down their throat, in their skin, biting them everything else. You go crazy. They're all over you. Verse 17, the execution of the command brought forth the lice. Both are included, but Aaron here stretches out his hand with his rod and he struck the dust of the earth and it became lice on man and beast. Geb was the earth god turned to lice. <laughs> How sad that one god can be turned into another god. Well, he used to be a blessing, now he's a pest. Notice the intensity of the plague is stated. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. The experience had to have been horrible. The repetition, once again, for emphasis regarding the miraculous event. Now, the magicians acknowledge the hand of God in verse 18 and 19. The magicians work with their enchantments to bring forth lies, but what? They failed. All of a sudden, God draws a line. Their enchantments were demonic in nature. Not mere magic. This is the first time they could not duplicate the miracle. And God begins to draw certain lines. Here they can't duplicate. Pretty soon he's going to divide between the Egyptians and the Hebrews. To, all, to give evidence both to the Egyptians and the Hebrews that God's in control. The extent of the plague is described. So there were lies on man and beast again. The plagues were for the Egyptians to know. Yahweh was greater than all their gods. The plagues were also for the Hebrews to know that Yahweh was able to deliver them, protect them, for after these, this plague of lice, the plagues will not touch the Hebrews anymore. The line is drawn. But up to this point, they were affected until he divides it. Now notice, then the magicians declared to the Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They were acknowledging Yahweh was the only, all-existing creator of all things. They were acknowledging their gods were powerless. In fact, no gods at all. Notice in verse 19 still, Pharaoh's heart grew hard for the third time, and he did not heed them just as the Lord Yahweh had said. This is the word shizek appear in relationship to Pharaoh 11 times, and it means to make firm, rigid, strong, sometimes by his own doing, sometimes used by God. God respects his obstinate decisions, and he strengthens them in that. But we're not going to get to the phrase, the Lord hardened his heart, till later on. All of this is by his own doing. Stubborn, like a mule, hard-headed. The word... Harden again depicts the nature of man. He just gets blinded by his own being. He thinks more highly of himself than he ought to think. Again, Daniel, you remember, pronounced judgment over Belshazzar as he celebrated his drunken feast with the vessels of, of God from the tabernacle, from the temple they took of Solomon. And he did this knowing that his father Nebuchadnezzar had turned to God 
after living as a beast for several seasons. He knew his testimony. He knew all that God had done. And Daniel says, but you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself or your heart. Although you knew all this, then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written, and this is the inscription that was written. Meaning, meaning, tekel, you farsen. This is the interpretation of each word. Meaning, God has numbered your kingdom. It's finished. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. You're a lightweight. Furious, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command. And they clothed Daniel with purple and with a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. The very night Belshazzar, king of Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius of the Medes received the kingdom, being 62 years old. Daniel 5, 22 through 31 tells us. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, mighty powerful empires and rulers, when God has uh, repeatedly warned a person about their lifestyle or choices that they, and they continue to ignore God's warnings, it is a willful rebellion against what they know. Those who sin against greater light get greater consequences. That's not only true in your house and, and dealing with people, but in civil law and everything else. How much more with God? God can deal very stern with people. He'd rather not. God can allow the natural consequences to overwhelm a person and bring them to the end of themselves. And he does so at times. The interesting thing is that different people can go through the very same thing and respond so differently. One can blame God, and the other one can rejoice in God. Another may become bitter against God, and the other one become a better Christian because of God. Yet another may may use God and then another one is used by God. Still others may turn away from God and yet others may seek God. It's a matter of choice, isn't it? Hebrews 4, 7 says again, he designates a certain day saying in David today after such a long time as it is has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This phrase is stated over and over again in the book of Hebrews as it gives warning after warning, becoming more severe, just like the book of Revelation, just like these plagues, for one who would turn away from Jesus Christ, having known him. The third plague of lies did not cause Pharaoh to repent. The plague of lies now comes forth, verse 20 through 32. Verse 20 and 21, the Lord commissioned Moses to present himself before Pharaoh. In verse 20, the Lord Yahweh again commanded Moses to rise early in the morning to stand before Pharaoh as he went out to the water again, the Nile River, like he did the first time when he went to the Nile. But notice here, he continues to worship a God who's been proven to be no God at all. This is tradition, this is culture, this is the heart of man. He continues to, knowing the information, knowing that he's not a God, and and you're, you're stuck there. The only difference between a rut and a grave is six feet. 
Notice the message to Pharaoh was again Yahweh's. It had not changed. The authority is Yahweh. Thus saith the Lord Yahweh. The command is let my people go. The purpose, that they may serve me. This is the sixth time this message has been declared to Pharaoh. Six times. Notice the Lord Yahweh in verse 21 there. Gives a warning for the second time before bringing the fourth plague on them in order that Pharaoh avert the consequences of judgment. Whenever there's warning, there's a potential to avert judgment, ladies and gentlemen. It's a given. The condition, or else if you will not let my people go. The consequences, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and in your houses. The choice is Pharaoh's. Flies are filthy animals. Everywhere they land, they regurgitate with bad, with some acid, and they devour what's there, and they bring it back in. They carry more diseases, everything else. They land on feces. They land on you. They, they, they plant their larval eggs on, on, on cow dung, everything else. And, and, and if there's no laws of sanitation, there's no provisions, they go over everything, and, and much disease takes place. Notice the intensity of the plague once again is described in verse 21. The house of the Egyptians would be full of swarms of flies. Now, have you ever had one or two flies in your house? It bugs you. It, it drives you crazy. And they can't get those suckers. Can you imagine your house full of them? The swarms of flies would also be on the ground as they stood on them. That's how thick they would be. I mean, I can't. And there's one after the other. These are divine judgments to bring them to the end of themselves to recognize that God is in control. Now notice in 22 through 24, the Hebrews were spared from the plagues now. Verse 22, the Lord Yahweh declared a line of separation for the Hebrews. The proclamation of the separation is, and in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell. Yahweh claims full responsibility for the judgment. Yahweh protects his own people. This is the first time Yahweh draws to protect the separation. More evidence for Pharaoh. And the Hebrews. Notice the purpose for the separation. It's twofold. First, that the swarms of flies shall not be there. I mean, this is not natural phenomena. <laughs> land of Goshen separated from the rest of the land of Egypt. The second, in order that you may know that I am the Lord Yahweh in the midst of the land. God is in Egypt judging the Egyptians. Pharaoh was to know this was no coincidence or accident, but the hand of Yahweh. Yahweh repeats the judgment for emphasis, distinguishing his people from the judgment on the Egyptians, stating emphatically, I will make a difference between my people and your people. Trying to bore you? No. He wants you to understand what he's saying and that he means what he says and he's the one that's doing it. And so Yahweh specifies the time of the judgment. Tomorrow this sign shall be. He tells them how, what, and when the Lord Yahweh brought the fourth plague on Egypt as he declared the confirmation they were in the house of Pharaoh servants house and all of the land of Egypt the consequences the land was corrupted because of the storms of fly the word corrupted means destroyed or ruined think about it the blood the frogs one thing after another they keep mounting up You've had a bad day when it's one thing, then two, then three, and it just kind of ruins your day, right? 
Now the Pharaoh summoned Moses to offer a compromise. Verse 27, the Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron for the second time. And Pharaoh tells them to go, sacrifice to your God. But in the land, oh, it's a compromise. This is the second time Pharaoh called Moses. The pattern is worldly remorse due to the consequences. This is Pharaoh's first compromise. Don't leave Egypt. Egypt always a type of the world. Be careful of that. That you listen to Satan or tell people, oh, well, you know, it's okay, you're a Christian, but, you know, you got to be in the world. you you got you to know what's happening, and especially your children. We'll get to that in the next two chapters. Many people, parents, lose their children because they compromise with their children. They're afraid they're going to lose them. Then they lose them because they compromise. Look at 26. Moses rejects the offer of Pharaoh. Moses points out that it was not right. It would be a, an abomination before the Egyptians. They would end up stoning them because they have all these, all these animals or side. They would be their gods. In 27, Moses reminds Pharaoh of Yahweh's orders. Moses tells Pharaoh, we will go three-day journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord Yahweh Elohim. Moses declared, as he will command us. In 28, Pharaoh's next compromise was, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord Yahweh your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far. And then he had the nerve to ask, by the way, intercede for me. This is the second compromise of Pharaoh. But he had the nerve to ask, having transgressed over and over again. And so Moses told Pharaoh that he would entreat the Lord Yahweh, that the storms of flies depart the next day from him as servants and the people. And Moses warned Pharaoh, though, in 29, but let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord Yahweh. The word deceitful means to mock or trifle. In other words, Moses was not stupid here. He was aware, and God was more aware. The only one that is deceived is the person thinking they're deceiving. You understand? And so in 30 and 31, Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord Yahweh, and the Lord removed all the flies. Listen, not one remained. The thing's all full. You know how hard it is to get one or two or three flies out of your house. Not one remain. Is this exaggeration, hyperbole? No. It's fact. Not one remain. It's no coincidence. It's not natural phenomena. This is divine intervention. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, verse 32, at this time also, and reneged on letting the people go. This is the fourth time the word Kabad, heavy, dull, insensible, appears for Pharaoh. It's all his doing. It's all his doing. People will hear the gospel over and over and never repent are in a very dangerous course. If you are here this morning and you've heard the gospel more than once, I would fear if you haven't decided on the gospel. They pride themselves in knowing the gospel, many people, though they haven't repented. They even share the gospel with others when it's convenient. And you know what? People get saved and they're not saved, but they share the gospel. They contradict the gospel by their lives. They don't even feel guilty or convicted 
It's like water off a duck's back. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit expressly or clearly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. He's talking about Christians, not non-believers. Non-believers don't depart from the faith. Christians do. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. When you are seared with a hot iron, you lose the ability to sense touch. It becomes dead. Scars do the same thing. It doesn't bother you what you do anymore. God will make a distinction between his people and those who are not his. Always. God hears the prayers of the saints. The sinner he does not hear. Except for repentance. God directs the steps of the righteous man. The unrighteous he does not. God gives wisdom to the godly. The ungodly he leads to himself. His own devices. God blesses the Christian. The unbeliever. He seeks to convict. But he doesn't force him to repent. You can sum it up as Romans 1.22 says. Professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Hell is going to have the most brilliant people because they just have explained God away. The wisest men that have ever lived, most of them rejected God. They will be in hell. It's going to be a brilliant place, but not very happy. Satan's clever. He's like Pharaoh, and he says uh, to you maybe, to keep a foot in the world. Because Egypt always is a type of the world in Scripture. Pharaoh's compromise to worship in the land, not to go very far. So you stay, stay up with the world. Make sure that you, you know, you make sure you intermingle you and you partake, you know, and, and uh, make sure that you don't go too far with this Christianity stuff, okay? Egypt's always a type, as I said. And so he says, you know, just you got to be living reality. The boat belongs in the water. It's when the water gets in the boat that the boat gets in trouble, ladies and gentlemen. We live in the world, but not of the world. You understand? Your life must be a sharp contrast to what it used to be. Otherwise, you're deceiving yourself. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. It can't be said any clearer. Deny yourself means lose sight of yourself. First John. 2, 15 and 17 says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. We're not to isolate ourselves from the world. We're salt and light. We're to affect it. But we don't speak. We don't entertain we don't live the way we used to, and yet we still live in this world, right? It's not talking about becoming a hermit. It's talking about becoming godly. The fourth judgment of flies did not cause Pharaoh to repent. What will it take, we say, for some people? I don't know. The three plagues God poured out on Egypt was in judgment of her gods, revealing that they were powerless. Plague of frogs, plague of lice, plague of flies. Three more gods. There were no gods at all. Who are you serving? Could be you. 
you don't make a very good God. What is it that you think it's worth your eternity? We pray your heart would be open to God. Pastor Xavier Reese, concluding another Simple Truth study drawn from our series in the book of Exodus today with a challenge to put your eternity in the hands of the eternal God of the Bible. Now, just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's study titled The Finger of God on Egypt are available on CD for just $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. And once again, the title to ask for is simply The Finger of God on Egypt, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com